This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Jennifer Liu, CFO of Aduro Biotech, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 458. is is that we did introduce the strategy and capital allocation framework to our investors three years ago and it was a four-year program and so we need to deliver on that fourth year of the program and deliver on the program in total made a lot of good progress we feel very good about that but if we stop now that would not be good that would be failure so we need to we need to finish up uh, delivering on that and then we have to decide you know how we're going to think about things on a going forward basis. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. On today's show, we speak to Tony Trippany. CFO of Corning Incorporated, the specialty glass and ceramics manufacturer that is today widely known as a leader, not only when it comes to manufacturing innovative technologies, but also inside the realm of large-scale change management. Tony explains why finance leaders must have a vision of what change looks like. We begin after these words from our sponsor. In a world that's always changing, one thing never does. Your need to adapt. Your need to evolve. Your need to grow. That's why we built Workday, a single finance, HR, and planning system that can change as your needs change and evolve as the world evolves. To learn how Workday is helping mid-sized organizations embrace the future with confidence, Visit us at Workday.com. Hello, we're speaking to Tony Trippany, CFO of Corning, Inc., the specialty glass and ceramics manufacturers whose offerings are today used widely in industrial and scientific applications. Tony, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Good to have you with us. As always, we like to begin by asking our finance leaders to look back. Tony, take us back and share with us what those experiences were that you feel best prepared you for a finance leadership role. Well, I've worked at Corning for a long time, about 33 years, and I've been very fortunate because Corning always has given me plenty of good career opportunities. And about every time I thought things were stagnating or getting a little boring, uh, they were able to come in with some good good opportunities. Uh, from my standpoint, I think there are really three things that, uh, as I look back, that have had a big impact. The first was when I moved to a manufacturing plant and became a plant controller. And in that role, I was the lead finance person in that facility that we were operating in. It was about a $60 million business. And there was, uh, although there were other finance people in the organization, 
I was the lead person, and it forced me to be on the business team, uh, really work with people with different backgrounds, whether it be the commercial folks or manufacturing backgrounds or, you know, other support areas. And at the end of the day, the financial results and how we reported them, how we analyzed them, and how we drove decisions, was it was up to me to, to make those decisions and to drive those results. And, and that was a great experience because, you know, many years later as the CFO, and it actually essentially what I'm doing but on a much larger scale. So that, that was probably the first formative experience for me. Uh, the second one was when I started to get involved in mergers and acquisitions. Um, you know, that gave me the opportunity to really look at other companies and how they operate and how we could create value by bringing those companies um, into Corning and, uh, you know, bring two organizations together. Uh, and that was great. It was very interesting on the deal side where you actually work out the, the price and the deal terms and the like. But where the real value came from was on the other side, and that's the integration piece and the importance of really being able to help the people coming into the organization understand what a vision looks like, what things look like together. Um, and it's where I first experienced the importance of change management uh, and communications and doing it, you know, both for the organization you were acquiring but also the organization that you currently had. Um, and that, that was a great experience for me. Um, I had the opportunity to do it two or three different times in my career, and I always grew doing both the deal and the integration side. Um, and then the last item was about 15 years ago when I had a chance to come to our corporate offices uh, in Corning, New York, and became the corporate controller because that really gave me a chance to step back and look how a very large organization, you know, we're over $11 billion in sales this year, governs uh, the governance organizations, how the board works, how you know, interactions with investors work, how the different businesses work together, I mean, how it all comes together. And when you work in a business unit or you work in a division, it's very hard to get that perspective of the total corporation. So that, that, that was very critical to me and gave me lots of experiences. I, I did that for about 10 years and really prepared me well to be the uh, CFO. You know, one of the things I, I would like to touch on here, uh, and you said it early on, you said, there were perhaps moments of boredoms or questions in your mind, what's next, and then something would happen and, and uh, you know, it would re-energize your, your feelings about the role uh, over time. And, and what I, I'm, I'm curious about is executives like yourself who've been able to build their career, their entire career, largely, in, in one company. When you look around and you see the other executives at Corning that have stayed as you have, what do they have in common? What is it that you think... Uh, uh, career builders like yourself who are able to do it in one company have in common? Um, well, I think, I think the first thing is is that, you know, we work in a company and as a, um, in, in a culture where what we do um, as managers, what we do as employees, what we do as an executive have a real impact on the company. You know, the thing that I always liked about Corning from the very beginning is, is that I always felt like my ideas were being listened to, that I had a chance to have an impact in the areas I was responsible for. Uh, you know, it, it's not that people always listened to everything I said, um, but I always knew people were at least hearing what I was saying and considering what I was saying. And, I, you know, I think that's very important. I think the second thing is, is that Corning uh, is involved in a lot of, 
you know, great technologies, brings a lot of interesting innovations to the marketplace. So there's a, you know, kind of a bigger purpose on what we do as a company, um, and that definitely energizes you. And then, you know, the final area is, is just really, you know, a lot of tremendous people who work at Corning, and you get a lot of energy and, you know, a lot of excitement from the people you work with. So when you, you know, bring that all together, our leadership team, uh, you know, has a lot of seniority here. It's not that headhunters don't call and that you don't get sometimes tempted to leave, um, but I think it's the overall culture that Corning has that makes a big difference. Uh, jump back the clock to 2015, and you step in that office really for the first time. You've seen so many other leaders hold that position, and all along you're shaping your own your own vision for that role. What would you tell us? What kind of job do you want to create for yourself as you entered that office? Well, I think the important thing was to be able to step back and, and our CEO, Wendell Weeks, helped me do this as I was preparing for this role and step back and think about, you know, what did I want to accomplish over the first three or four years in this job? Um, and, you know, what did I want to be different after three or four years than when I went into the role. You know, a lot of times when you're the internal candidate that moves into a, into a role, there's a sense that, well, that must mean you don't want any change. You, you're satisfied with the status quo. Because uh, if you were satisfied with the status quo, you might go outside to hire somebody. But in fact, you know, if you do it right and you have a vision for what you want to change and you um, the fact that you're an insider just makes the change a lot easier to manage and a lot easier to direct. So I spent a lot of time with my leadership team uh, in the first couple months in the role really defining what we wanted to be and what we wanted to accomplish. And it had a lot about a journey to becoming world class. And we had a pretty specific definition of what that meant in terms of our effectiveness as a finance function and our efficiency or how much the finance function costs. Um, and we really described a vision of a, you know, what we wanted to look like in three or four years that where we were providing deeper and more timely insights to our business partners. We were, you know, managing our talent across the board more effectively. We were developing people more effectively, and we were leveraging our productivity and information technology systems in a way that not only reduced costs but more importantly created bandwidth for us to be, you know, provide a lot more value-added work. And in that process, you know, we defined seven very specific streams of work that we wanted to accomplish. We assigned leaders to each one of those work, uh, that work. We talked a lot about what we wanted to accomplish in the first 100 days, the first year, the first three years, um, and we got very focused on that. And I think the challenge you always have of course, is that there's a lot of day-to-day -day business that's going on at the same time. And so you need to set up the infrastructure in place that not only you get the day-to-day -day business done, but you make sure that the, the things you want to accomplish over time actually get accomplished. And, um, you know, we got together three months into it and, and did a pretty, you know, day-long review. Uh, we met weekly as a staff, um, focused on what we wanted to accomplish. We got in some outside help in a couple of areas where, where we weren't the ex experts to get ourselves launched in the right way. And, you know, I just had a three-year review with my boss uh, a couple of months ago. And while we're not done, we're not at world class, I don't know if you ever get there, we've made a tremendous amount of progress in that three-year period. And it was really 
you know, driven a lot by defining it well up front, putting the resources up front, understanding what success looks like, and then making sure that that gets communicated across our whole organization. You, you touched on so much there. There was people development. There was new ways of managing, new leaders assigned. Um, was this a, would you say that you reorganized finance? Is that too strong a word, or what, how would you characterize it? I think we reorganized a lot of the senior leadership team. A lot of, uh, you know, what we were doing previously was working well. In fact, defining what is, you know, working well that you don't want to change is just as important on the things that you want to change. Um, and, you know, one thing that we pride ourselves in finance is being good business partners. And, you know, we always felt like pretty much everywhere in the company we have a seat at the table at the important decisions. What we don't do is, you know, across the board as well is, you know, what we do with that seat. Are we providing enough insight? Are we providing it on a timely basis? Are we helping drive better decisions? And so some of the day-to-day activities and the organizations we didn't change, but what we did was reorganize more at the senior levels to make sure that there was sufficient uh, focus on delivering insights, that there was sufficient resources to you know, take a different look at problems. We've actually formed a group that does a lot of analytical modeling and the like, and some of the bigger problems that business faces, you know, we'll, people will come to that group and we'll be able to bring them in and help solve their problems and look at problems in a different way. Um, uh, so a lot of it was, was more at the senior levels and how we approach things than it was deeper into the organization. Right. We might want to touch on that analytical modeling group uh, again with you, but uh, we'd just like to ask you about Corning's offerings today. And for, for some of us, it's always surprising to learn the role Corning has played in certain technologies, particularly the last 10 years. It might come as a surprise to some to learn all of what uh, Corning's been up to. Can you, can you give us, a, and, and I know this is hard to do, but give us a snapshot of those offerings and and why it's driving such innovation in so many different businesses today. Yeah, sure. I mean, we are the best in the world in three core technologies, four manufacturing and engineering platforms, and five market access platforms. And those technologies are glass science, ceramic science, and optical physics. Um, and these capabilities are interrelated and reinforcing, and it provides us with just real world-class capabilities um, that we apply in lots of different ways. And a couple of examples of that. We invented fiber optics in the early 70s, and we've been in, in the leader in fiber optics since that period of time. Uh, our fiber optic business, optical communications business, is currently our largest business, and it's growing very rapidly, uh, and it's what's driving uh, cloud computing, and it's also what's driving improvements in, uh, you know, wireless computing. Uh, wireless uh, uh, communications like with 4G and 5G wireless, for example. And so, you know, it's a, it's a great area of very significant growth for the company. And our second area is in our display technologies. I mean, every LCD display, whether it's in your TV, it's in your uh, portable computer, it's on your monitor, it's on your cell phone. I mean, Corning was involved from the very beginning with that glass science and those optical physics to make that uh, possible. We're a market leader in that, and it's a very nice growth market for us. You know, the bigger the TVs, the better for Corning, and we've really developed the technology to make that happen. 
The other you know, area that's very similar, also using similar types of technologies, is what we do uh, in specialty materials and mobile consumer electronics with Gorilla Glass. We invented Gorilla Glass 11 years ago. We're on our sixth generation of Gorilla Glass. Over 6 billion devices covered with that. That's the protective cover on every cell phone and every tablet. Um, they're a, a great product for us. Um, environmental technology, ceramics is one area. We invented the inside of catalytic converters in the 70s, um, and we've continued to drive that business. We're really one of two companies that supply all the catalytic converters around the world, and as pollution requirements become more stringent, it's our technology that's making that possible. And then the final area is really in our life sciences um, area where we provide a lot of products that we invented a long time ago and continue to develop, and we're, you know, in the process of introducing some new pharmaceutical packaging materials that's really going to revolutionize things. And so I think what you hear in all that is us taking our, our real knowledge and our core technologies and being able to manufacture these items. A lot of companies, they have this, the research and development, but don't do the manufacturing and engineering part. And being able to service our customers in these market access platforms in a, you know, very, very deep and long-lasting relationships with those customers. Given all of what's happening at Corning, how are you measuring? How are how are your lines of sight into the organization keeping pace? And of course, that relies on what metrics you're looking at. When you go week to week, what is it that you're paying close attention to to understand how the company's performing? Well, we told investors and our employees and our board a little over three years ago that, you know, our focus was, um, you know, strong uh, stewardship over our business, that we would be able to generate 26 to $30 billion of, of uh, cash over a four-year period, and that we were going to use that cash to invest in our growth and sustain leadership, which we're having a lot of success with, and then we're also going to return a lot of cash to our shareholders. And so our whole reporting systems and our whole management systems is really around making sure that we live up to the commitments that we made uh, to our owners um, three years ago. So there's always a lot of focus on, you know, how are we doing from a business sales standpoint and from a relative profitability standpoint, but also how does that generate into cash flow, both in terms of operating cash flow, and then we invest a lot to do these innovations and grow these businesses. We invest in research and development. We, re we invest in capital spending. So what are we doing in those areas to make sure that we're getting the appropriate returns? Or if we go out and do an acquisition, I mentioned that was critical in the earlier part of my career, and we still do significant acquisitions, just recently bought part of a business from 3M, and, you know, making sure that those returns make a lot of sense. And then, as you said, uh, putting a greater focus on return on invested capital to make sure that the money that we are spending of our shareholders, that we're getting better returns on that. And so, you know, everything that we do from a, uh, a reporting standpoint and an analytic standpoint is all in support of this greater you know, commitment that we have in our strategy and capital allocation framework. One of the lines of discussion that we're having uh, now with finance leaders is how non-financial metrics have begun to play a larger role sort of in their metric mix or how they look at the business. Uh, Tony, is there a, a, a non-financial metric that uh, 
has played a larger role over the last three years in your mind, something that you're paying closer attention to than perhaps you had in the past? Well, generally, you know, nothing is really coming to mind, you know, directly as far as from a, uh, uh, you know, a day-to-day standpoint. What I would say is that, you know, a lot of areas um, like in sustainability, for example, is an area of greater focus that all companies are are working with, and, and clearly we at Corning are working with it. Uh, although, I, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. We get a lot of questions from investors about some of our sustainability and environmental efforts. And, you know, what uh, always strikes us is that we were already doing a lot in this area. What we weren't doing as good is, is actually communicating it to our investors. So in some cases, we're making improvements in the processes we're doing. But a lot of cases, we're also just focused on, you know, giving it greater visibility internally and then making sure that that visibility also uh, is available to our shareholders and our other stakeholders. Uh, I'm wondering to try to get some perspective on how the sustainability effort has evolved. You know, turn back the clock 10 years, this is what the sustainability effort looked like. Compared to today, where you have a more senior leader perhaps leading it, there's more organization behind it, or am I wrong? Is, it, is, there, is there a point of comparison that would sort of underscore the commitment that Corning is making to sustainability? Yeah, I think where the, where the difference may be is, is a lot of the sustainability efforts where each of our businesses had efforts, you know, either around uh, using less energy, for example, um, or, you know, better on, you know, water waste uh, uh, generating, you know, uh, you know, improving from a, you know, water treatment standpoint and the like. And what we've done is, as these areas have become more important is put corporate-wide initiatives on them. So global energy management is probably our best example, which probably 10 years ago, it may have been a little bit longer ago than that, that we put a corporate-wide initiative on that. And we've won, I think, for five years in a row, uh, the EPA uh, recognition for our energy management program. And it's really become embedded in every one of our organizations around the world. I mean, the recognition is U.S.-based, but it's really a global program. And I think that that's often how these changes happen within Corning, which is there's an interest level in them. They start at a business level. There's a recognition that we would get good leverage by making it a corporate-wide initiative. And then we, in turn, you know, make it a corporate-wide initiative and get even greater benefit um, in that respect. And another area that's been the last couple of years, we've always had a lot of work on our supply chain and contract manufacturers and, you know, making sure that they live up to the same values and standards that Corning uses. Um, but as we've grown and had more contract manufacturers, we realize we'd really benefit from a corporate-wide initiative in this area, and that's what we've implemented over the last 18 months. It's interesting to learn how sustainability has become a, a, you know, a more of an important top-of-mind uh, group uh, within Corning. Uh, in the finance organization, is there something that the team has stopped doing or, you know, isn't as focused on anymore? Uh, as you came up through the ranks, there might have been some part of the finance function that at some point in time was thought to be so mission-critical that it could never uh, not be a central focus, and yet it's no longer a central focus. Is there anything that comes to mind when I put it that way? 
Yes, I mean, I, I think probably the biggest item is is that a lot of what is, you know, blocking and tackling uh, in terms of accounting and accounting transactions, uh, you know, we've done a, a better job at standardizing a lot of that, moving them into shared service centers, um, putting, you know, Six Sigma quality processes around them, and just spending a lot less time on them. Um, it's not that they're not just as important as they've always been. It's just that we now spend a lot less time on them because we're a lot better at doing those kind of processes. And, you know, and a, you know to me, a great example of, of that is, is that, you know, we've always had pretty good internal controls. We now have great internal controls because by being able to put them in three shared service centers on a global basis and everybody doing the same way, you know, it's much easier to, you know, make sure those control processes are good, make sure that all your reconciliations are done, uh, you know, make sure that uh, you're able to audit those. You can audit them from a distance. You can do just a lot more checking. And so our internal control processes over the last decade have gotten stronger, and we spend less time on it. And I think that that's a great example of, of how things have changed over the last 20 years. Well, we always like to ask for a finance strategic moment. And, Tony, I think you probably have uh, 12 a week, if not more. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll, we'll ask the question. This has to do with a, a moment of uh, strategic insight that you experienced along the way uh, during your career. It might have been while you were the CFO. It might have been earlier in your career. Does anything come to mind when I ask for a finance strategic moment? Yeah, the, the thing that I always think about with questions like that is really the first time that as a plant controller of a, you know, $60 million business, uh, you know, I realized that I was in charge of this part of the company, and it was up to me to help the business team drive the results. And it was in a case where we went from making money to losing money, and we needed to get back to making money. And we spent... You know, a lot of time and energy, um, you know, first, you know, understanding what we as a organization wanted to accomplish, understanding, you know, where, why we were not making money, you know, what had happened over the previous year that stopped us from making money, figuring out, you know, how we were going to respond to it, what things we were going to do differently, and then having a vision that we could share with all the employees to, to get them around, you know, turning around the organization. Uh, this happened it was a long time ago. This happened in 1989. And by, two, by 1991, we had turned around the situation and we were returning 10% of earnings on our sales as opposed to learning, uh, losing about that amount. So it was a you know, complete turnaround from a business standpoint. But the reason that was a pivotal moment to me is, is it really showed how finance can drive and lead that type of change and how you can work with all parts of the organization, whether it be the commercial leaders who had to go out and sell different products and maybe sell them at different price points, the manufacturing leaders that had to reduce costs and come up with better productivity, whether the other, you know, procurement organizations or supply management organizations or IT organizations, all of which we, we all had to do our jobs differently. Um, and it, while it was on a, you know, you know a, a relatively small level, it was exactly the skill sets that I needed as I, you know, dealt with 
bigger issues like this, you know, the collapse of telecom in the early 2000s and the division I was working in went through exactly the same thing. It was just a bigger business at that point in time. When we went through the Great Recession and I was the corporate controller at Corning, we did exactly the same thing, but it was a bigger organization. And a few years later when uh, we had some challenges in our display business, same thing, exactly the same sort of skill sets that you had to apply. And it really taught me that, you know, it's not the finance skill sets that matter in those situations. It's the leadership, it's the change management, the communications, the business partnership skills that, that, that make the difference and make you a much more effective finance professional. And, and that's why, you know, really thinking about if we were going to be world class, how we were going to do a better job in all those areas is really, you know, what we want to accomplish as we move to world class, you know, over the last few years. Well, we've been uh, engaging uh, finance leaders on the topic of the workforce lately. And with uh, AI and uh, as we move into the future, the impact of AI on the workforce being widely debated today, um, we thought it was a good time to, to begin to ask finance leaders what are their priorities when it comes to the workforce. And I always like to share this anecdote where the uh, – the CFO asks the CEO, what happens if we spend money training our people and then they leave? And the CEO responds, what happens if we don't and they stay? Um, just as sort of giving you a, a sense of what we're after here. But as a finance leader, what is the workforce mindset? What is the, when you think of the investment that's being made, what is your sort of philosophy when it comes to that workforce? how big it should be, how small it should be, et cetera. Well, so I, you know, I think it's really important that there are finance professionals and, you know, finance thinking and all business decisions that, that happen in an organization because we have a unique perspective and, you know, a big-picture perspective that I think is always important to have that seat at the table. You don't always have to, you know, have the final decision go the way you recommend it, but it's always important that you have that perspective. And so what becomes very critical is, is that the people that we do have have the skill set to be able to do that. And, you know, where we have focused on the last couple of years is making sure that we have the tools for, for two things. One is to free up more of their time so they're not working on, you know, coming up with the next forecast or closing the books, but instead they're, you know, sitting at the table making a difference uh, in terms of the decision-making process. And then tools that really help provide them the information to be better informed on those decisions. And, you know, you know corporations, and Corning certainly is no exception, have tons and tons of data that's available, but it really is hard to turn it into information, into analytics that you can drive decisions with. And there's so many cool tools that are available to help drive that. You know, we need to get those tools out, and we need to make sure they get into the organizations. And so, you know, one of the things that we have done, uh, you know, we, we set up a uh, enterprise uh, uh, risk and intelligence group, and that was really a, a you know, corporate-wide group that we could call in on any set of projects or programs that they could come in and bring in a different set of tools to help solve, the, solve those, those problems. And we've made a lot of capacity expansion decisions, you know, where to locate facilities, how big those facilities should be, you know, based on those tools which help 
us take data that already existed but come up with better decision-making processes. And so we need to make sure that our everybody in our organization gets the opportunity to, you know, uh, to, to be trained in these areas and apply these tools. And so we do a tremendous amount of internal training. Uh, you know, we do a lot of uh, people rotations into new roles because there's nothing like a new role to really apply, you know, new learnings and, and learn new skill sets. You know, most people, we have a low attrition rate, which means that when people come here, we want them to stay uh, for the rest of their careers. And if we're going to have people stay for the rest of their careers, we better make sure they're the best people we can and the best people out there. I, I think we do a great job on that. I think it's the reason people don't leave Corning. But it's a, it's a really important area of focus for us. You know, I have an HR professional that sits on my staff because it's such an important area for us. And we probably spend, I don't know, maybe a third of every one of our staff meetings talking about topics like this. Uh, and certainly on our off-sites when we do our annual plans and, uh, um, and then, you know, from a quarterly standpoint, we have a lot of talent management uh, sessions. So it, it's, it's an area that, that you really need to invest greatly in. We enter the mentoring round with Corning's Tony Trippany. After this, the business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Yeah, we're going to move to our mentoring round where I get to ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Uh, clearly, the role that finance plays in the company and, and in, in business today. Um, you know, I think it's uh, business is moving at an ever quick and fast pace. I didn't actually think it could get any faster than it's been over the last five years, but in fact it has. And that just really means that, that uh, finance plays an even greater role in business than we have in the past. And, you know, that, that gets you juiced up to come into work every day. Okay. So we, we touched on uh, that day you entered the uh, CFO office for the first time. So I'm going to have to ask you this question. What is that piece of information you wish you had that day that you didn't have, perhaps? And it sounds like you were very prepared, mentored, in fact, by the CEO. But still, there must have been something you wish someone had told you the day you entered that office and took on all the responsibilities that it brings with it. Well, you know, I think Corning uh, did a great job of developing me to be ready to be the CFO, you know, not just the CEO mentoring me, but my predecessor did a great job, and he spent a lot of time with me before I became the CFO and then after I became the CFO. And I also have a great staff, which makes a big difference. Um, and I was the corporate controller for a decade, so I thought I had a pretty good handle 
on everything that uh, was involved in that role. But there's a public aspect to being the CFO that I, even though I intellectually knew that that was true, um, emotionally it's just different when you're the person being asked the questions and when you're the person going to the conferences or you're the person that's getting, you know, speaking, uh, you know, half the time on the conference calls. Um, and, you know, being, you know, well prepared for that, having the right communication skills, uh you know, all of that, even though I had plenty of practice, it just wasn't quite the same as, as when I became the CFO. And so that's probably the biggest thing that was different than uh, what I expected. Okay. I'm going to go um, – I'm just going to – I'm wondering if you have a memory, uh, Tony, of uh, the first time you just, you just drew that kind of that image of a conference call where you spoke up or had something to – uh, include a piece of information maybe that you were sharing, whether it was with the analyst community or shareholder community or some other stakeholders um, on, a, on, a, on a call. And um, for those who are trying to develop these types of skills in-house, it's like that. It's gradual. It happens over time. But at the same time, there, there might be a particular date that you recall when you were called to, to – you know, step up and, and supply the information or give a presentation. Um, and it was maybe uh, planned or maybe it was on schedule. But the fact is, is it was time and you had to uh, you had to step in. Does anything like that come to mind anecdotally for us? Sure. I, mean, I think early on in my days um, being a plant controller, um, we used to give uh, a communications meeting with all the leadership of the division, it was probably 30 people or so, uh, you know, once a quarter. And so this was the first session that uh, that I was, you know, having become the controller, Dave. And I passed out a bunch of information and in new ways and new analytics on how to think about the business. And uh, I could, you know, I wasn't a very good presenter. I, you know, it, you know, I didn't know what my main points were. I just had a lot of data. And I remember at the end of the presentation, the person who I worked for got up and said, well, that was all very interesting, Tony, but would you pass all the information back in? And, you know, we'll, we'll come back in another quarter and see, see what things look like. And the reason I mention that is, is that up until then, I didn't really appreciate how important communications, uh, being concise, being able to make your key points, to non-finance people, how important that was. All my jobs prior to that, that data would have worked fine because everybody spoke finance. And now I was in a role where I was the only person that spoke finance and everybody thought I was speaking a foreign language. So, you know, from that point forward, I, I always put a lot of focus on getting better at communications. Um, and frankly, I don't think that's a very natural act for people who are driven to the finance profession. You know, I think we like the analytics part of it. I think we like, you know, being involved in things, you know, analyzing things, but we don't necessarily, you know, come naturally the communications piece of that. So I've taken a lot of training in the 30 years since that experience uh, from a communication standpoint to try to get better at that. And, you know, today sometimes I will answer a question for an investor. Well, you know, you're on the phone or in person, I can tell, ah, oh, that didn't uh, – you know, they didn't quite understand what I was trying to get across. 
I know how to go back and say it again, but I often think about at least they're not asking me to pull the whole presentation and come back a quarter later. <laughs> Is there any, uh, a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Well, you know, I think a couple of things. I mean, first, I think all finance people work hard, and I'm no exception to that. Um, I have been willing to take on assignments, even those that are outside my comfort zone. Um, you know, I think uh, in the 33 years or so that I've, you know, been working, or 37 years I've been working in total, I've had something like 13 jobs in six locations, so I was always willing to take on that next assignment. And a lot of those assignments well out of my comfort zone when I first got involved in acquisitions. That was not something I thought I would really be interested in doing or be that comfortable with. Um, so, you know, being able to take on new things and be willing to try them was important. Um, and then I was very fortunate. I mean, we talked about the communications piece. But I was also very fortunate early in my career to have a supervisor who helped me understand that developing leadership skills was important. And so, you know, I think while I've always been, you know, adequate enough on the technical side of finance, being, you know, I've tried to distinguish myself by being a little bit, you know, put a little bit more investment in, you know, being a good manager and a good leader and a little bit more investment in communications and change management. And I think that definitely has helped my career. Uh, just a, I, I sense that uh, leadership and good communication skills, you, you seem to emphasize that. Am I correct about that? Yeah, I think that is true. And then I think just the whole gambit of change management, which is a little bit different than communications. Communications is a part of it. But, you know, really understanding what the vision for change looks like you know, working with people on getting them to buy into that vision of change, you know, becoming supportive of that change, um, and then laying out what needs to get done and leading through that. Uh, you know, communications is a part of that, but there's more than that. And I think the change management aspect of leadership is, is really important to me, too. And just to understand, this, this what we're speaking of now, this change management uh, uh, understanding and, and being a leader, uh, are these skills, I, I'm going to assume they were used widely uh, when acquisitions, of course, were made, when there are groups of people who had to be acclimated into a larger organization. Was that part of it? That was absolutely part of it. That's actually where I first learned, especially about large-scale change management. And the, the, uh, you know, the story I always was tell about that. The first acquisition I worked on, and the acquisitions are always confidential, so the organization being acquired was surprised, but so was the organization that was doing the inquiring. And a lot of my colleagues just looked at it as, uh, gosh, I can't believe you went out there and got me a lot more work. I was already playing busy. And it was because we didn't do a good job of explaining how you bring these two organizations together, they're going to be more effective. So we got better at that as we did more organ more acquisitions, and the biggest acquisition I worked on, I was, you know, led the change management effort in that acquisition, and that's where I got professional help to, you know, help me on, you know, developing change management skills, and uh, that has always made a big difference, um, you know, as I, you know, as other changes come up. That's where I learned a lot of it, but it's definitely a skill set you use, you know, every day. I mean, the, when you ask me about 
the beginning of being a CFO. A lot of that was just about applying good change management skills across an organization that was actually expecting, well, you know, Tony's been here a long time. There's not going to be many changes that are going to happen. All right. Well, is there a book you'd recommend, Tony, to aspiring finance leaders? Yeah, there's two. One is called Leading Change, and it's written by John Cotter. It's a Harvard Business Review book. Um, and I think that is the best book I've read to really get the sense of what change management is all about. Um, and then the second is a book called Executive Guide to Financial Management, written by a guy named Dewey Norton. And Dewey happened to be the first boss I had. And it really lays out um, for a finance executive kind of every aspect of a finance job. So if you're getting a new assignment and you're suddenly dealing with you know, treasury topics that you hadn't dealt with before, or control topics, or forecasting topics. This book goes chapter by chapter and kind of explains the best way to go about uh, approaching those items. So, I mean, those two books are on my bookshelf, and those are two. I have a lot of books on my bookshelf, but those are two books I actually pull out and look at occasionally. Okay, we're up to our final question, where I get to ask you, over the next 12 months, what are your priorities as a finance leader? Um, the first one is is that we did introduce the strategy and capital allocation framework uh, to our investors three years ago, and it was a four-year program. And so we need to deliver on that fourth year of the program and deliver on the program in total. We had a lot of good progress. We feel very good about that. But if we stop now, that would not be good. That would be failure. So we need to, we need to finish up uh, delivering on that, and then we have to decide – you know, how we're going to think about things on a going-forward basis. It doesn't necessarily have to be in four-year increments. There's nothing special about that, but there needs to be a good roadmap on what, how, how we're going to think about this on a going-forward basis. You know, I think the second area is to just continue the work on becoming our on our journey to world-class, what we refer to as Finance 2020. Um, as I think I mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of times the day-to-day -day activities can get in the way of the longer-term changes that you're making. So you always have to keep those longer-term changes a priority. And we have some very specific things we need to do to continue pushing, developing our leaders, continue pushing deeper insights and analysis with our business partners, and continuing on our technology roadmap. So there's some very specific deliverable items that we need to do over the next 12 days. Tripoli, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. My pleasure. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? 
order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.